You know, we all have environments where we are able to relax and where we just feel at home. And yeah, we all have people that we can just be normal around and there's no show and there's no pretense. And there are people that you get to be around where you don't even have to fix your hair. Right? You know what I'm saying? And, and Scott's buying into that big time. It's like, if I don't have to fix my hair, that's big for me. Um, but there are people that we just have this comfort zone with. And we have certain roles that we're accustomed to doing. And sometimes we even get comfortable there. Like, I'm much more comfortable uh, talking to a group than I am talking to, like, three people. Uh, it's just a comfort zone that I have. And you have comfort zones related to your profession or your vocation or your personal life uh, that all make up what we sometimes call a comfort zone. And comfort zones, I have to tell you, they're great. They're beautiful places. They're places where we can recharge and we can renew and sometimes we can get some rest. But they're not places of growth and development. And in this series, Courage Over Comfort, we are taking on this issue of intentionally moving outside of a place that's comfortable. We're talking about doing new things on purpose, which for some takes a great deal of courage. And I have to tell you that the series is not new information. And we're not going to be giving you things that you've never heard of before. Most of the things we need courage to do have nothing to do with information. They have to do with purpose. They have to do with whether or not we're actually going to follow through on the information we already have. And there are a lot of people who have a lot of information about different topics, but they've never followed through. So our opening text is in 1 John chapter 1. And I'm just going to read quickly to you. Yeah, verses 5 through 10 as we get started this morning. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Probably all of us have been in a confrontation one time or another. And it takes a certain amount of courage to confront people in the relationships that God's given us. But I'll tell you what's even harder. What takes even more nerve is to confront the enemies that are lurking in our own hearts. To judge ourselves in the light of God's truth in an open and honest way. And our opening topic in the series is confront. And so let's pray together. Father, would you... Work now this morning, not only uh, in this session today, but in our, our entire series. And that you would give us courage to go beyond what we've done before, to go beyond what's comfortable, to go beyond just what we know, and to follow through and do what you've called us to do. And I pray even this morning that the Holy Spirit would speak to each heart and help us to confront things in our own lives that are lurking, 
that are growing and that are wounding us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are enemies in each of our hearts that deceive us. That's what verse 8 tells us. Uh, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the first person that you trick about sin is yourself. The first person that you lie to is always yourself. There are these enemies in our hearts that deceive us and that cause us to think that other people are the problem. And I have to tell you that in your relationships and in your circumstances, there are some times where other people are the problem. But that doesn't mean that you don't own a slice of the pie. We have a thing that we talk about sometimes at our house with our teenagers called the blame pie. Right? You have one of those at your house, blame pie. And uh, what you have to do from time to time when people are kind of pushing things away, well, it was her fault, it was his fault, it was the dog's fault, whoever's fault it was, you have to pull out the blame pie and you have to take out the little spatula thingy that you cut pies with. I don't even know what that's called. I just call it spatula thingy. And uh, ours even has ridges on it, so it just cuts perfectly through the blame pie. And you put the blame pie on the counter, and you say, okay, I want you to cut a piece of the blame pie, how big your slice should be. Now, how many of you, when it comes like to certain pies, you don't even really need to cut it in slices, you just eat the whole thing? (laughs) Right? And uh, like if it's coconut cream, and it's made really well, There's no reason to cut that pie. That's a personal pan pizza just for me, right? Uh, Or if it's chocolate cream or apple or whatever it is that you like. The weirdest thing is when you pull the blame pie out, nobody wants to cut a big slice, right? You pull the blame pie out and everybody's like, oh, I'm I'm good. I'm full right now. I don't need any pie right now. And uh, we got to sometimes get the blame pie out and say, okay, let's be real. I get that she said this and he did this, but how big would your piece be if you had to cut one? We don't like to confront our own hearts, and we don't like to take our slice of the blame pie. Clearly, God knows our hearts even better than we do, and uh, we could just go ahead and make it official from our text today. We're all sinners. If we say we aren't, we're liars. Uh, that's what God tells us in this passage. But our message today isn't on the general topic of sin. We want to get down to the nitty-gritty and discuss four particularly deceptive and destructive sins today that if you allow them to, they will take over your heart. And they will affect every relationship you have, especially your relationship with your Father in heaven. And it's going to take some courage to confront your own heart for these next minutes. And so I encourage you to step outside of the the zone uh, that says, I'm fine, nothing to see here, no big problems in my life. It's my boss, it's my husband, it's my wife. And I want you to set that blame pie right out on the counter this morning. Okay? Just go ahead and get it. Go ahead and get the spatula ready. Okay? And we're going to take and we're going to own a piece of that pie here this morning. And some of you are already thinking, my slice is going to be 1%. My slice is going to be really, really tiny. Okay? But what I want you to do, don't think about your husband's slice of the pie. 
Okay, some of you are already thinking about that, right? He gets the biggest piece. If the pie is this big, his is the whole thing, right? I get one spoon of it. Don't think about your wife. Don't think about your boss. I want you to have the courage to consider and to confront what God has for you. And so let's talk about these four enemies now as we go through this this morning. The first enemy is the enemy of I owe you. I owe you. Now, Proverbs 22, verse 7 says that the borrower is servant to the lender. And so we know this in our financial roles, and we know this sometimes in some of our life roles. A person who owes loses his authority. And that's in any realm, whether we're talking about our money or we're talking about our morality. The debt either has to be paid or the debt has to be canceled. And when you buy a car on credit, hopefully you can pay for it. And if you can't pay for it, then what happens? They take it back. She said it so plainly. I like this. I like plain talk. They take it back. They repossess it. Right? They come and they repossess it. And when you buy a house, and hopefully you can pay for it. And if you can't pay for it, then they will come and they'll actually take it back. Right? And it's called, uh, see, you guys are I'm telling you, you guys are smart. Foreclosure. That's a big word. It may be even bigger than repossess. I don't know. I didn't count the letters. Some of you are like right now adding them up on your fingers. And we, in, our, in some of our roles, in our finances, in our daily living, we get this philosophy, we get this principle that when we owe, there's a debt created. And we can pay off our financial debts over time and with some hard work. But here's the problem. We can't ever pay back our moral debts. And that's where guilt comes in. Guilt is the result of having done something that we perceive to be wrong. That our own conscience says, you shouldn't have done that. You created a debt. And the message that comes with guilt is, I owe you. Have you ever told someone, hopefully you have, I owe you an apology? Now, why would you say that? Here's why. Because a death has been created. Have you ever had to tell your kids, I'll make it up to you? Make what up? See, you're trying to go back and change the past. You're trying to go back and make up for what's been absent or to make up for what's been taken away. But there's no way for the debt to be paid. See, the only way to make dad kind of not be on the hook for not being home at night to tuck the kids in is for dad to be at home at night to tuck the kids in. There's no alternative. There's no toy. There's no gadget that pays that debt. And you can't make up for something by replacing it with something else, right? You go and you buy a brand new car, and they tell you, okay, here's your payments, and your first payment's going to be due on November 1st. And on November 1st, you call them up and say, you know what? I don't have any money, but we have chickens at our house. Would you guys take five dozen eggs? Now, how do you think that's going to work, Right? Uh, You can't pay with a different currency than what you signed up for. And when it comes to the debts we owe in our lives, we have to pay with the same currency or it has to be canceled. 
You know the guy who owes you $50? Don't be looking around right now, okay? Uh, you see him much? Do you ever see that guy very much? No, he never comes around, does he? If, if you want him, you have to go find him. The power of debt is real. And uh, there are relational IOUs that are brought about by people's poor choices. And guilt drives dads and moms and husbands and wives to be absent instead of face what they owe. And if you've ever had guilt in your life, you know this. Guilt is very secretive. Guilt likes to hold secrets. Guilt likes to hold things inside and not let them out and protect at all costs what's in there. And the thing that you and I feel the most guilty about is the thing that we hold the deepest in our own heart. A lot of people are confused by one of the verses that we read here in 1 John 1 and verse 9. And maybe you've heard this verse before. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you've ever kind of studied this verse, here's what you know about it. This is the escape hatch verse. Right? This is the verse that is like the magic wand over sin. And if you grew up in, in a Baptist church or an evangelical church, this was there for you. And if you grew up in a, maybe in Catholic church, you'd go to the priest for this, the escape hatch, where you get to empty the sin bucket. And even though you know deep inside that you're going to fill it again the next day. And so you could come to God and say, God, I'm really sorry I messed up today, and I'm really sorry that happened, and I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have gone there. And then the very next day, you could go and do the same thing again. And you could click things on your computer screen, or you could watch things on television, and you could immediately say, God, I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. And then the very next day, come and do the exact same thing again. Now, how many of you think that God put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible to be like that? No, God doesn't want that. If, it's kind of like if you've got a friend and you walk up to your friend every day and you slap him in the face, right? And they say, you know what? I'm sorry I did that. And I say, I'm sure I'm sorry I did that. And the next day you walk up to him and slap him in the face. You know, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I sure I'm sorry I did that. Now, how many of you think you and your friend are going to be really good friends if you do that every day? That's not going to be a good friendship. That's not going to work out well. And when we do this with guilt in our lives, and we try to use this escape hatch verse, knowing that we're going to fill up the sin bucket again, then that is a messed up concept. And, you know, sometimes we use confession to God just to relieve our guilt. And not because we truly want to change. And so I'm going to give you the answer here, and it's, it's in the scripture. The only answer for guilt is confession. All right? Now, we get that, yes, uh, that confession is to God. We understand that. That's the first step to repentance. But more than that, confession to those you've offended. It's so important to destroy secrets and to get rid of guilt. And open confession has the power to break the cycle of sin. You wonder why 
you're fine with silently confessing your sins to God, but not to the people you're hurting? Here's why, because it gives you an ouch. You say, God, I'm really sorry I hurt her feelings. God, I'm really sorry I gossiped about her. God, I'm really sorry I took something from him. But you're not willing to go talk to the person because it gives you an out. And God doesn't want us to have an out. He wants us to be open. He wants us to be willing to have the courage to step into the confession of what we've done to hurt other people. And that protects us from repeating the same thing over and over. I bet if you went and told your sales manager that you cheated on your last three months' reports, they would make you stop cheating on your reports if you still had a job, right? Now, most sales managers, if you went and had the courage to tell him that you actually did that, he may faint and fall over backward. And then you'd have to apologize for that too. But, you know, we sometimes have these things in our lives. And if we were willing to go and tell our friend, you know what? I violated your trust. You trusted me with something and I told somebody else. You probably won't have the tendency to gossip quite as much after you have to do that. After you go tell your teacher that you cheated on the last test. And when you open up to your spouse about the person that you've been talking to on social networks that they don't know about. See, having the courage to do that takes the problem into the light. And when problems come into the light, God can heal the problem. But when they stay in the darkness, we can just keep going to God. God, I sure am sorry that I've been talking to him or her on the Internet, and I really shouldn't do that. And then the next day, we're going to go do the same thing again. Because we've never truly confessed, and we've never abandoned what we want to do. And so, you know, the reason we feel guilty about our past is that there's things that are still unresolved. Telling God didn't take the guilt away because God wasn't the only one who was offended. And so this is a big one as we get started here this morning, is the enemy of I owe you. But then there's the enemy of you owe me. And the enemy of you owe me uh, is kind of the other side of this coin. And the other side of the guilt coin is anger. Now, anger is the result of not getting what we want or even what we deserve. Even when anger is justified or seemingly justified, it still creates a debt that someone owes us. And so guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. And I want you to think about a time in your life, and for some of you this is going to be really hard because it's never happened, I'm sure, right? Think about a time in your life when you were really angry. I want everybody to go to your angry place right now. Think about a time when you were really angry, okay? And it could have been this morning even, or yesterday or whatever. I can guarantee you that the whole situation boils down to this. You didn't get something that you were convinced you deserved. Somebody owed you. Now, it may have been rightly so. You may have been justified in your thinking. The problem with anger as a heart guest is that eventually... If you feel like somebody owes you, eventually you'll feel like everybody owes you. Extremely angry people 
who struggle with anger on a daily basis feel like the whole world owes them something. In fact, they've already decided ahead of time that you are not going to get things right even before you try. Here's why. If they let you get it right, they lose their excuse to stay angry. And people who are angry all the time, they always have to have somebody they're upset with. And I've heard people say, I don't have an anger problem. Maybe they say it like that, or maybe they say, I don't have an anger problem. I don't know why anybody would think I have an anger problem. Sick of people saying I have an anger problem. Not angry. I want to give you your first courage assignment of the week. Gather the people closest to you, your friends, your coworkers, maybe your family members, and tell them, you know, the pastor talked about anger issues this week, and ask them if they think you have any. Say, the pastor at church talked about anger issues this week. Do you think I have any anger issues? Now, some of you are already smiling because if you already know what they're going to say, maybe you don't need to ask. But if you do ask them, here's some hints that I'll go ahead and give you, okay? You ask them, if they pause before they answer, they might be afraid to tell you the truth. And if they do start to answer and say, well, you know, now that you asked me about it, maybe I should, and you start to feel a volcano rising up inside of you, or you begin to interrupt them, or you begin to defend yourself, if you feel yourself getting angry for answering a question that you asked, you might have an anger problem. Exposing anger is painful, but it's also powerful. You know, it could be that you need to tell your story because you have never exposed to your own heart why you're angry at everybody. And you need to go back and name who hurt you and how they hurt you and what they took from you and what they did to you. And it could be that you're one of the people that needs to tell your story. It also could be that you're one of the people that by all means needs to top, stop telling your story. Because you tell it wherever you go. And anytime you do something wrong, anytime you mess up, you go back to your original excuse story of why you're an angry person. And people are so full of excuses and blame and hate when it comes to their anger and their bitterness. And they just use that story to become victims. And there are victims. I'm not downplaying that at all. But, you know, victims come to a point where they have no control over their lives. They don't get the courage uh, to step out of that, and so they only just react to everything. The only answer for anger is forgiveness. You may have a typo in your notes right there, but bear with me. The only anger, the only answer for anger is forgiveness. That's it. It's the only answer. There's a lot of confusion about what forgiveness actually means. And some people know that they ought to forgive, but they can't muster the courage to do it. Others, uh, they think that forgiveness is wrong because it lets the offender off the hook. 
And another group say that they've offered forgiveness, but they keep having the same feelings and memories. And let me tell you God's formula. If you look over in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, it is the most simple passage in all the Word of God to explain the why of forgiveness. And some of you probably already know this verse or these verses. Ephesians 4, verse number 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Okay, so let's just take that section first. Now, how many of you have ever had a kid trick you with those jelly bellies that taste like really weird things? Okay, and I'm telling you, if you don't know what this is, don't ever let a kid walk up to you and say, do you want a jelly belly? Okay, because they're jelly bellies that have been engineered to taste like things like a skunk. Yeah, I'm not lying. To taste like dirt, to taste like throw up. I'm not lying about this stuff. It's real. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. Now, when one of my uh, lovely, beautiful children, who I will not mention, but he has a limp right now and he's in the sound booth. When he one time gave me one of these horrific jelly bellies, right? And I don't even know what it tasted like. He just, but I could tell by the way he walked up to me and said, hey, dad, you want a jelly belly? (laughs) And I could tell I was in for the wrong thing here. And when I put that jelly belly in my mouth, I didn't say, oh, that tastes horrible. I don't think I'll eat any more of it and then keep chewing it. I didn't do that. Do you know what I did? I went, (coughs) and I spit it as far as I could spit it. It may or may not have hit him in the face. I I just divulged that that he's a he. It may or may not have gone out of my mouth extremely quickly. Now, when I think of Ephesians 4.31, look what it says again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. That means it's got to be spit out. You got to get rid of it. Don't hold it in your mouth and save it for later. All right? Don't say, I don't like this anymore, and then keep chewing. Get rid of it. Here's how Be kind one to another, verse 32, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You know, we are extend, we're going to extend an attitude of forgiveness. Only because it is a mirror of how God forgave us through Christ. And we have really got to bear down and have the courage to give this up. Matthew 18 tells this incredible parable, and you should read it sometime, but Matthew 18, 21 through 35, of, of this debtor who owed, and of, of how he was forgiven, and then he wouldn't forgive. And to put it simply... Forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. That's all it is. It's the decision to cancel a debt. And if we hold out and we wait to be paid back for the wrongs that people have done to us, we'll be the ones to pay. But if we cancel the debts, we'll be the ones set free. You know, holding on to anger is harmful for your soul. I think Mandela said it this way. It's like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other guy. 
That's what holding on to anger does. It hurts you. It doesn't hurt your offender. Now, let me give you four quick steps here. You may want to write these down of how to forgive, how to get rid of anger. Number one, identify who you're angry with. And uh, some, some, for some people, this is the hardest step because you feel like you're angry at everybody. And you have to go back in your mind and your heart and really consider who is it you're really angry with and identify who you're angry with. The second thing, number two, determine what that person owes you. What did that person take away from you? What did that person do to wound you? And uh, determine what it is. So determine who the person is. Determine what they owe you. And then number three, cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Now, that person might not even be alive anymore. But you can cancel the debt in your own heart. And the way that you cancel the debt is say, even though what you did to me was horrible, and I can't ever change how horrible it was and how you hurt me, I have determined to cancel the debt, and then number four, dismiss the case. Now, here's why pseudo-forgiveness does not work in relationships. Pseudo-forgiveness is when you say, I forgive you, and then you bring it up again the next week. Pseudo-forgiveness is where you say, I'm really uh, just in this spirit where I want to forgive you for what you've done, and then two weeks later, you hold it over their head again. Forgiveness says, I canceled the debt, and, and it's got to attach the and to it. I dismissed the case. I'm never bringing it up again. And uh, that's the enemy of you owe me. But then there's the enemy of I owe me. And this one is really tough because we make it almost impossible to identify greed or covetousness in our own lives. That doesn't mean that they're not there. Here's the bottom line. Greedy people believe that they deserve any good that has come or possibly could come their way. It is hard to get a greedy person to part with money or stuff. Why? Because it's theirs. And they are afraid. And maybe it's because of how they grew up. And they're always living in what if-ville. What if it gets lost? What if there's not enough? What if I don't get my fair share? And they're always asking these what if questions. And I, I tell you this. Greed is one of the easiest things to spot in other people. Right? And we even have names for it. We call them skin flints and misers. And you know, we say things about other people. Boy, aren't they greedy? And boy, they hold on to their money tight, don't they? But we never see it quite as easily in ourselves. In fact, sometimes we don't see it at all. And uh, people with covetous, greedy hearts fear. And uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. I'm telling you, you've got to have the courage to, to even get this one. People with greedy hearts fear that God either can't or won't take care of them like they want to be taken care of. And if God won't, then who will? And it's all rooted in fear. And so they consider themselves savers or planners or just trying to be financially secure. And like I said, we can see it in others, but not in ourselves. Greedy people worry about money. And they don't cheerfully give it away. And they're reluctant to share. And they're poor losers. And they quibble over the smallest sums of money. 
right? I, if their bill is 11 cents wrong at the, at the restaurant, they're going to make a big deal out of it, even if they were going to give a $5 tip, right? They quibble over the smallest amounts of money. They always talk like they're just getting by, like every conversation, well, I don't know if we can do that because we just have a lot of bills right now. And you're thinking, they have no bills, right? Then, and it got quiet in this room. Like, it got extreme. I started talking about greed and having the courage to see in yourself. And I can, I, there's a dynamic that I have in the church service where I can know when it gets really quiet, it got quiet. Like, it got more quiet than when we were in the anger stuff. It got more quiet than we were talking about the guilt stuff. Why? Because greed is one of those things that we can't see in ourselves that begins to take over our lives. And so... Here is this thing of greed. We start to understand these traits and uh, how people have lots of secrets and they won't ever let you forget if they've helped you. They keep bringing it up again and again and again. They are reluctant to offer gratitude. They try to control people with money. And uh, by all means, don't think of this as a rich versus poor thing because greedy people are in every demographic. They're in every neighborhood of every size. Yeah, it's not a financial thing. Greed is a heart thing. Jesus told a powerful story in Luke 12 to help us diagnose greed if we have the courage. I want you to look at it real quickly. I'm not going to be able to tell the whole story, but you could read through it on your own. And here's how Jesus expressed it. He says in Luke 12, and this, by the way, is one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible when it comes to money. Luke 12, verse number 15. He said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So Jesus tells this story to to kind of diagnose greed. And he tells about this, this rich man who's... Uh, farm brought forth all this stuff and he had all this extra and when he had all this extra his first thought was what am I going to do with my extra where can I put it and instead of giving it away to the people who needed it he said I'm going to tear down my perfectly good barns and build bigger ones and I'm going to say to my soul soul you're going to be happy and it's going to be an easy life for a really long time And God said, you're a fool, because this night your soul will be required of you. And then, whose are those things going to be? You know, eventually, everything we claim to own is going to belong to somebody else. In the end, it's all given away. And the cure is right there in that statement. Think about it this way. If in the end you're going to give it all away, then why not start early? The only answer for greed is generosity. It's the only answer for greed. And it starts by asking this question. And this takes courage to ask yourself. It really does. So this is kind of assignment number two. The first one was the anger thing about ask your friends, am I angry? You really should do that, by the way. I plan to do it today at family dinner. Just disrupt everything. I'm just kidding. I won't do it at family dinner. I'll do it at the end. Right after we get our food digested. Um, but think about this question. You really have to have courage to ask yourself this. 
Okay? I want you to dwell on it. Here's the question. You ready? Why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? And some of you right now, you just answer the question in your own mind, I don't have so much, I don't even have enough. And I would encourage you to go walk down through the 10 shacks that we were just in in Dominican Republic a few weeks ago. And I would encourage you to walk down the muddy streets of India and walk through any third world country and walk through parts of Caldwell, Idaho and ask yourself again, why do I have so much? And if you'll ask that question, you can get a handle on greed with God's help. But it begins with, why do I have so much? See, giving is the way God changes a heart of greed. He wants us to give until we get cheerful and enjoy it. And faith giving takes some spiritual nerve. It requires us to have courage over comfort. So we've hit three big ones already. Guilt. And guilt says, I owe you. We've hit anger. Anger says, you owe me. We've hit greed. Greed says, I owe me. And by the way, a lot of people who have problems with lust in their lives, it's because they have a problem with greed. Because they say, I owe myself this. And it's okay if I do this because I don't have enough and I'm not getting enough of whatever it is that I want. And so greed can turn into lust in your life. Lust is not a root sin. Lust is manifested in guilt, anger, greed, and our last one, jealousy. And a jealousy is a big one. And here's what it says. The enemy of God owes me. God owes me. This, this one, this last one, jealousy, it can be really confusing because when we think about envy or jealousy, we actually, uh, we think of the things or characteristics that other people have that we don't. And it naturally makes us assume that our problem is with those people, but it's not. See, the root of jealousy is always against God. And here's why. God could have easily given you what the other person has. God could have made your looks like hers or your height like his. And if God had taken care of you like he did the people you know, your life would be better and richer. What God did for somebody else, he could have easily done for you. He owes you. That's the root of jealousy. Don't ever be confused into thinking it's about another person. It's about you and your relationship with the Almighty God. Now, jealousy has been around since there have been human beings. You think of it. Cain was jealous of Abel. Right? Esau was jealous of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous of Joseph. Commodus was jealous of Maximus. Woody was jealous of Buzz Lightyear. Now, I'm just seeing if you guys are still in the Bible stories with me or if we've gone outside of the box a little bit. Jealousy is a big problem everywhere you go, and it's hard to actively love somebody that you're jealous of. It really is. If, if there's somebody that you're jealous of because you think God owes you, it's going to be really hard to be close in relationship with that person. There are husbands and wives that are jealous of each other. 
And they actually subconsciously try to sabotage each other's successes because they're jealous of each other. Everybody's looking at me like, Pastor, you and your wife having a problem right now? No, we don't have any problem. I'm just telling you like it is. There are sometimes in relationships that we have, uh, think of the closest relationships that human beings have, and in God's word, it tells you they were jealous of each other. Brothers, sisters, sister-in-laws, brother-in-laws, mother-in-laws. The closest relationships that we have, we have jealousy. And it, can I tell you how you can know if you're jealous of someone else? And got that problem with God? Here's, here's a little secret. Okay, this is the, kind of the fine print inside, insider info. If that person gets hurt or fails in their life, and you rejoice. If that person who's in competition with you for the same job at work doesn't get it, and you secretly on the inside kind of cheer. And if that person who hurt you once fails, and you secretly kind of cheer, I'm telling you, you people are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? Like, who would do that? You would. Because when that person you were in a competition with, and you were getting close to the end of the race, and they fell, your heart said, yay, I win, I win, I win. That's jealousy. And it's deep. And I'm telling you that jealousy is so dangerous because it can turn into resentment against entire categories of people. And there are people that you talk about with your friends or talk about in your own heart, and there are entire classes of people that you don't like. You know, there's a segment of our population that hate rich people. Why do they hate rich people? They're just people just like us who've worked hard and done what they need to do. There's some resentment. There are people who don't like stay-at-home moms. Like, what's that all about? There are people who don't like supermodels or executives or whatever it is. And that resentment has come from jealousy. The jealousy always boils down to this. You aren't getting what you want, and God could have fixed it. That's jealousy. You aren't getting what you want, God could have fixed it. The only answer for jealousy is celebration. It's the only answer for jealousy. If you want to guard your heart against envy, here's the answer. You have to celebrate the success, the size, the stuff of all the people that you tended to be jealous of in your life. You have to have the courage to verbally express celebration until it becomes a habit in your life. You have to be willing to walk across the office into the cubicle of the guy who just took the job that you wanted and you have to say to that person I'm so glad that you got it I hope it all works out well for you and even if you don't really mean it all yet if you commit your works to the Lord your thought will be established Proverbs 16 3 you have to celebrate what's going on in other people's lives and that's the way to overcome jealousy we read earlier in 1 John, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie 
and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I'm going to encourage you as I close today to do, to do this. Bring your heart enemies to the light. Bring your heart enemies to the light. If it's guilt, if it's anger, if it's greed, if it's jealousy, if it's something we didn't even talk about today, bring it to the light. It takes courage. You can sit back in that comfort zone with your heart enemies hurting you and the people around you again and again and again. Or you can get real before God. And you can get real before some people in your life who hold you accountable and say, I'm tired of carrying the guilt. I'm sick of being angry. I don't want to live a life of greed. I won't let jealousy invade my life anymore. The answer is confess, forgive, be generous, celebrate. And that's how we confront the person who causes each of us the most trouble, me. I'm not asking to have the courage to confront other people today. I'm asking you to have the courage to confront this person. And if you'll do that, God can really work in your life. And so as we close today, here's, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, if, if you are a person who just heard this message, and in your heart right now, you say, God, I want to be courageous enough to bring an issue to the light, to bring it to you, to bring it before you. And whether it's uh, one of the things we talked about, uh, guilt, anger, greed, jealousy, or if it's something else, if you're a person who wants to do that today and say, I want to bring that to the light, would you do this for me? We're not going to bow our heads. We're not going to say nobody looking around. If you say, I have the courage, and I want God, and I want even the people close to me to know that i got to bring something to the light, put your hand up right now. Mine's up. Mine's up. You know, these are four things that I have to ask God to work on my life every day. Every day. Because if not, guilt starts to grow again. If not, the anger starts to vine out again. If not, the greed can start to take over and I can start to feel like all the stuff I have is mine and stay in Instead of saying, God, why'd you give me extra? And I could become jealous and think that God actually owes me something when he paid it all on a wooden cross for my sins. Have the courage this week, today, to confront. Not just before God. Tell somebody else, you know what? I'm done with this in my life. Maybe you've got a secret that needs to come out, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to take the most courage you've ever had to tear that thing out and say, this is what's been hurting me. But it needs to happen so that you can grow. Your comfort zone of sin is not a place of growth. Your comfort zone of sin is a place of destruction. That God wants to work through you. Father.